Good evening. How you all doing? It's there is severe weather to our north. Uh, Saint Helena, Zachary, that area is under a tornado watch, tornado warning. I'm not sure which one is which, but they're under that. So let's please keep them in prayer. We thank God that we have, we actually have better weather tonight than we had earlier in the day. When we were here at noon, it was raining, but uh, when I walked in, there was no rain going on, and we thank God for that. We are continuing our look at major messages from the minor prophets. Tonight, we want to focus on the prophecy of Zechariah. I invite your attention to perhaps the best known portion of Zechariah, which is Zechariah chapter four. Uh, we're going to read the entire chapter. It's not very long. It's only uh, 14 verses in length. Uh, the major thing that uh, Zechariah seeks to deal with is Zechariah wants to call us back to a place where we recognize and respect the power of God. Uh, and we rely on that power to accomplish things that in the minds and hearts of uh, some people might be considered to be impossible to do. In order for us to understand the uh, passage and what is being said, you, you need to understand the context in which it is given. Uh, Zechariah ministered roughly at the same time that the prophet Haggai ministered, and they ministered primarily to the same two people. They ministered to Zerubbabel, who was the governor of Judea, and uh, to Joshua, who was theirs, not Joshua, Moses Joshua, a different Joshua, who was there serving as Zerubbabel's primary assistant. After 70 years of captivity, uh, the, the, the king of the Medo-Persian Empire, a man by the name of uh, Cyrus, allowed for several of the exiles to make their return back to Jerusalem uh, in the year 538 BC. Uh, Cyrus was said to have had a dream and in the dream he was informed by God that he should let the uh, exiles of Babylon who wanted to return uh, to Jerusalem do so which is interesting because Cyrus was not a worshiper of God, of our God. And yet the dream was so profound and so pronounced that when he woke up, he immediately had an edict drawn up and signed it, allowing uh, the first wave of Judean uh, exiles to return back to Jerusalem, uh, back to Judea. As you might imagine, over a 70 year period of time, a lot of folk had died. 
over a 70-year period of time, a lot of folk had been born. So there were people who were going to Jerusalem who really weren't returning to Jerusalem because they'd never been there before. Uh, they they had heard about. In fact, uh, while we're talking about this, did you know that Nehemiah had never been to Jerusalem before the Lord told him to go to Jerusalem and help to rebuild the city's walls. Nehemiah was one of those that had been born during that 70-year period of captivity. And <clears throat> it was while he was serving as the king's cupbearer that uh, he got a report. He heard a report of those who had come back from Jerusalem to the king in order to talk to him about the things that were going on. And he asked, how were things going with the rebuilding effort? And he was distressed by what he had, had been told, by what he learned, which is that the rebuilding effort had essentially stopped. And he goes to God in prayer, asking for God to give him favor so that he might go and lead the rebuilding effort, and God gives him that. What I find interesting about that is Nehemiah had never been to Jerusalem, had never set sight on Jerusalem. But he knew that Jerusalem was home. Somewhere, somewhere in his upbringing, he was told, don't forget Jerusalem. So, somewhere in his, in his rearing, he was told that Jerusalem was the home of God, that Jerusalem was, was the center of, of the spiritual life of his people. And he had such a desire for a place that he had never seen, that he was willing to give up what was essentially a cushy position uh, he, 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 he was the cupbearer to the king. Now, there was risk being cupbearer to the king because that meant that you were the food taster, that, that you had to eat everything. And if anybody was trying to poison the king, they'd find out by poisoning you first. But, but, but other than that, it's a pretty good job. <laughs> I guess you say other than getting shot, Mr. Lincoln, how was the play? But, but, but the point was he lived in the king's palace. He ate from the king's table. He, he, he moved with the king. He was a part of the king's entourage. That's a pretty good position to be in. And yet he was willing to give all of that up in order to go back to, I say go back, to, in order to go to Jerusalem to lead in the rebuilding effort because he was inspired by what he had known about Jerusalem to do that. Well, in much the same way, I, I don't want to spend too much more time on Nehemiah, in much the same way, Zechariah was dealing with the fact that Jerusalem was supposed to be rebuilt, that the walls were supposed to be rebuilt, but that no work was being done. In fact, the people had been there for between 16 and 18 years. Some Bible scholars say 16 years, some Bible scholars say 18 years. But between 16 and 18 years, no work was done. Because when the people went back, and we talked about this when we dealt with the Haggai passage, when the people went home, at first there was zeal to do the work of the rebuilding. But zeal quickly fell away. When they ran into trouble, when they ran into problems, when they ran into setback, when they ran into opposition, zeal gave way. And folk decided that rather than do what they were supposed to do, they were going to do what was most expedient to do. And so for a period of 16 years, no 
work was done. And so God speaks to the prophet Zechariah in order to encourage the people. His message primarily to the people is you're languishing, you're suffering, you're struggling because you have not done what the Lord told you to do. To which they responded by saying, we can't do the work. It's more work than we can possibly handle. We don't have the ability. We don't have the means. We don't have the tools. We don't have the resources. We can't do the work. To which the prophet Zechariah responds in the name of God, you've got everything you need. And they said, where do we have it? He said, you got God. And if you've got God, then you've got everything that you need. Turn to Zechariah chapter 4. The messenger angel again called me to attention. It was like being wakened out of deep sleep. He said, what do you see? I answered, I see a lampstand of solid gold with a bowl on top. Seven lamps, each with seven spouts, are set on the bowl. And there are two olive trees, one on either side of the bowl. Then I asked the messenger angel, what does this mean, sir? The messenger angel said, can't you tell? No, sir, I said. Then he said, this is God's message to Zerubbabel. You can't force these things. They only come about through my spirit. Now, just let me stop there. That passage in the King James Version reads this way. And this is the most famous passage in the whole book. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit. Message version, it says, you can't force these things. They only come about through my spirit, says God of the angel armies. So, big mountain, who do you think you are? Next to Zerubbabel, you're nothing but a molehill. He'll proceed to set the cornerstone in place, accompanied by cheers. Yes, yes, do it. After that, the word of God came to me. Zerubbabel started rebuilding the temple, and he will complete it. That will be your confirmation that God of the angel army sent me to you. Does anyone dare despise this day of small beginnings? They'll change their tune when they see Zerubbabel setting the last stone in place. Going back to the vision, the messenger angel said, the seven lamps are the eyes of God probing the dark corners of the world like searchlights and the two olive trees on either side of the lampstand. I asked, what's the meaning of them? And while you're at it, the two branches of the olive trees that feed oil to the lamps, what do they mean? He said, you haven't figured that out yet? I said, no, sir. He said, these are the two who stand beside the master on the whole earth, of the whole earth and supply golden lamp oil worldwide. The purpose of, of, of our Bible study as we have said repeatedly throughout this series on major messages from the Minor Prophets, is not so much for us to do an exegetical study of the book, 
but to draw out pragmatic points that are helpful to us. So then, the question should and could be asked, what is the point of Zechariah chapter 4 for you and me? The point is, if we are in the body of Christ, if we are the church, if we are disciples of Christ, if we are submitted and committed to Christ, then the words, I can't, should never come out of our mouths when God says you can. God doesn't call us to do something that he has not equipped us to do. So when we look at a situation, when we look at a problem, and we don't see how it can be resolved, it only means that God hasn't shown it to us yet. Doesn't mean that the problem can't be solved. It means that God has not shown us exactly how it's going to happen. But don't I have to see it before I can do it? No, you don't. And in fact, often when you wait to see it, by the time you see it, it's too late. I don't like baseball. This is, this is the worst time of year for me. Uh, I'm not a huge fan of, of professional basketball, but I can tolerate it. I don't like baseball at all. I pride myself on the fact that I have not watched a single inning of baseball in about 10 or 11 years, and I don't think I've missed a thing. But I do know this much about baseball. Baseball is about a pitcher trying to pitch the ball past the batter as best he can. If a batter waits until he sees the pitch before he starts to swing, by the time he starts to swing, the ball is already past him. See, and I, don't, I don't even have to watch it and I know that much. It takes less than a second, between five-tenths and seven-tenths of a second for a baseball pitched by a professional baseball pitcher to go from the mound to the catcher. That doesn't give you a whole lot of time to decide whether or not this is a ball or a strike. It doesn't give you a whole lot of time to decide exactly where it's going to come across the, 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 the plate. It doesn't give you a whole lot of time to decide whether or not it's an inside pitch or an outside pitch or a low pitch or a high pitch or whether or not it's even in the dirt. You don't, 0. 0.5 to 0. 0.7 seconds. Within that time frame, you have to make up your mind whether or not you're going to swing. And if you wait until you see it, okay, it's coming right here, it's gonna drop right there, and I'm gonna hit it right there. By the time you get to all of that, strike one. Strike two, strike three. And you're out, you're done. It's the same way with faith. If, if, if you have to wait until you see it before you act on it, by the time you've seen it, it's no longer faith. The writer of Hebrews gives us a clear definition of faith. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. 
So if I wait to see it before I act on it, if I wait to see it before I can stand upon it, if I wait to see it before I respond to it, by the time I start responding, it's already too late. There are windows in the life of every Christian, in the life of every individual Christian. There are windows in the life of churches, in the life of congregations. There are windows. And if you don't go through the window when it's open, it's closing. And by the time it closes, it could be a long time before it ever opens again. Most of you all in here are old enough to where you can look back on your lives now with, with, with some degree of perspective. And all of us can admit, all of us can admit that there was something that we wished we had jumped on when we had the chance to jump on it. And we didn't do it. And by the time we realized that we should have jumped on it and that there was something there for us to get, it was too late. Church is the same way. I have watched churches die. One of the things about living in, 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 in the same place for a long time is that you get to see stuff over a protracted period of time. And I have watched what has happened to certain local congregations simply because they waited too long. And by the time everybody was on board, the window was already closed. We can't do nothing to everybody's agree. Oh, Lord. If we're going to wait for everybody to agree before we do something, never going to happen. In your individual life, if you wait until every doubt has been satisfied, it'll never happen. If you wait until every risk has been accounted for, it will never, ever happen happen and you'll be sitting there with your bat on your shoulder and the pitch will have gone by not by might nor by power but by my spirit says the Lord of hosts the God of the angel armies as as Peterson puts it in the message version of the Bible when he talks about this spirit, what we have to recognize is that in order to be effective disciples, we need to know more and more about the work of the Holy Spirit in our individual lives and in the life of the church. Because it is spirit power that makes the work that we have been called to do possible. What is it that we have been called to do? We just got through with the celebration of Easter and, and, and right, after the, right after the celebration of the resurrection, there is the ascension. Of course, ascension day hasn't come yet, but, but we, we, we generally wanna close that book and move on to something else. So what happens at, at the ascension? At the ascension, Jesus gives, well, Jesus talks to his disciples and he gives them a commission. It's, it's written in Luke chapter 24. It's written in Acts chapter 1. It's also written in Matthew chapter 28. As you go, make disciples. Teach people what I have commanded you. Baptize in the name 
of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. How can we do all of that, Lord? That, 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 that's what the disciples were asking. It's not written there, but Jesus sensed that they were asking the question because he gave them the answer. He said, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. That's Matthew chapter 28. In Luke 24 and Acts chapter 1, he says, don't do nothing until the Holy Spirit comes. He said, tarry till the Holy Spirit comes. When the Spirit comes, he will give you power. And that power will enable you to be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and to the uttermost part of the, uh, of the earth. In other words, wherever you go, my spirit will empower you to witness for me. If we are to be the disciples that Christ wants us to be, then we must recognize that our greatest need is to learn how to rely less on us and more on the Holy Spirit. God doesn't ask us to do God's side tasks in our human strength. He, he teaches us to learn how to rely on him. Part of that is having a better understanding of how the Holy Spirit works. And if we had a better understanding of how the Holy Spirit works, we'd stop saying some things that we say. Let me give you some examples of what I'm talking about. If we understood how the Holy Spirit works, we'd stop talking about we need a fresh anointing. I need a fresh anointing of the Holy Spirit. Really? Do you? What was wrong with the one that you got? Why do you need another one? Turn in your Bibles, please, to 1 John. Not John's Gospel. 1 John. The first epistle of John. I, John, yeah. Or, or as Trump would say, one John. <clears throat> Turn to First John, chapter 2. Because I'm looking at 2 Peter instead of 1 John. There we go. Chapter 2. Let's start with verse 26. I've written to warn you about those who are trying to deceive you. But they're no match for what is embedded deeply within you. Christ's anointing, no less. You don't need any of their so-called teaching. Christ's anointing teaches you the truth on everything you need to know about yourself and him uncontaminated by a single lie. Live deeply in what you were taught. And now, children, stay with Christ. Live deeply in Christ. Then we'll be ready for him when he appears, ready to receive him with open arms, with no cause for red-faced guilt or lame excuses when he arrives. Once you're convinced that he is right and righteous, you'll recognize all who practice righteousness are God's true children. 
John reminds us that the anointing that we receive from God teaches us everything that we need to know about God. And so when we talk about needing a fresh anointing, needing the spirit to fall again, and I know we like to sing that song, Spirit of the Living God, fall fresh on me. Can I tell you that's a song and not the Bible? Can, can, can I tell you that, 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 that the Holy Spirit doesn't have to fall fresh on you because he fell on you the one time? Oh, well, why, why can't he fall again? Because he never left. Because he never left. Turn, turn in your Bibles to John chapter 14. Not, now go to John's gospel account. Look at John chapter 14. If you love me, I'm sorry, verse 15. If you love me, show it by doing what I've told you. I will talk to the Father, and he'll provide you another friend so that you will always. Do you see that? Always have someone with you. Well, if you always got someone with you, why you need him to fall again? Why, why, why do you even come back a, a, another time? If we understood more about the work of the Holy Spirit, there's stuff we wouldn't say. And that's one of the things we'd stop saying. I need a fresh and... All you're doing is mimicking what you heard somebody say on TV, on the radio. It's called blind leading the blind. If we knew more about the Holy Spirit, we would stop talking about the Holy Spirit as though he is only in displays of emotion. We come to church on Sunday, and I've heard folks say, if, if, if folk were quiet in church on Sunday, like y'all quiet right now, it, it was dead in there today. There was, there was no spirit in there today. Well, let's be clear. There's nothing wrong with, with having an emotional religion. As my father used to love to say, I wouldn't have religion. I couldn't feel sometime. But if you relegate your spiritual experience to a feeling, then you have missed out on the work of the Holy Spirit. Turning your Bibles to 1 Kings. Chapter 19. Starting with verse 11. Just to, just to set it up, Elijah has run from Queen Jezebel. Jezebel has told, has put out a bounty on Elijah's head, said, I'm going to kill him. And Elijah is running and he's in hiding. 
and, he, and he's gone to a cave. And there in the cave, this is what happens. Verse 11, then he was told, go stand on the mountain at attention before God. God will pass by. A hurricane ripped through the mountains and shattered the rocks before God. But God wasn't to be found in the wind. After the wind, an earthquake. But God wasn't in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, fire. But God wasn't in the fire. And after the fire, a gentle and quiet whisper. When Elijah heard the quiet voice, he muffled his face with his great cloak, went to the mouth of the cave and stood there. A quiet voice asked, so Elijah, now tell me, what are you doing here? What's my point? My point is, we, we, we think that God only shows up in the hurricane or in the fire or in the earthquake. And yet the text says, God showed up in a quiet, gentle voice. This idea that, 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 that when the Holy Spirit moves, everybody's moved to emotion, that everybody's moved to, to, to animated displays of, of, of praise and worship. Sometimes that's true, but that's not a universal affirmative. That, that's not an absolute truth. Sometimes when God moves, it's in the quiet still. And that's important because we can get deceived by the noise. And we can mistake the noise for the movement of God. In point of fact, we mistake a lot of things for the movement of God. We mistake large crowds of folk for the movement of God. If, if, if there are a whole lot of folk there, then God must be in it. No. Y'all read the story where Jesus fed the multitudes with two fish and five loaves of bread. And, 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 and the next day, even as, after he went across the lake, they all followed him and picked up folk with him so that there were more folk there the next day than there were the previous day. And they were looking to get a, 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 another vision of, of, of another miracle of Jesus. And instead, Jesus didn't do nothing except teach, taught from sunrise, to sunset, and the people did what y'all do in the sermon last too long. People picked up their stuff, and they put up their deacon finger, and they tipped out of church. And not only was, was the preaching too long, and not only was the preaching too dull, but the preaching was too harsh. Because he started talking about things about like, like drinking his blood and eating his flesh. And they didn't understand the spiritual meaning of what he was saying. And at the end of the teaching, it says those folk, the 5,000 that got fed the day before, plus the others that came the next day, they left and they never followed him again. They never came back. Emotional experience. Yes, sir. 
God, God works in different ways for different folk. And this idea that there's a universal way that God works for everybody is hogwash. High five somebody. Shake three folks' hands. Tell them this. Tell them that. No. The Lord doesn't work like that with everybody. If we understood better the work of the Holy Spirit, we'd stop saying crazy stuff and stop looking for crazy things to happen in our lives. We need Holy Spirit power in order to do the work that God has called us to do. But we need to recognize Holy Spirit power when it's there. And it's not always there in the wind. It's not always there in the earthquake. It's not always there in the fire. Sometimes it's there in the still small voice. Zachariah was given a vision. And in this vision, he, he, he is made to see a golden lampstand. And the lampstand has seven channels. And on either side of the lampstand are two olive trees. And the olive trees have branches that bend over into the bowls that feed the oil into the lampstand. See the picture, if you will. Two olive trees on the outside with branches that have so much oil in it that the oil is literally dripping off of the leaves of the tree into the bowls that feed the channels into the lampstand. And, and, and the bowls stay filled with oil so that the fire continues to burn on the lampstand. And, and, and with this vision, the angel asks Zachariah, do you know what you're looking at? Do you understand what it is that I am trying to show you? To Zachariah's credit, he said, no, I don't know. Help me to understand. One of the things that would help us is if we had sense enough to say, I don't know. Sometimes God shows us stuff, and we don't know what it is we're looking at. Sometimes God reveals things to us, and, 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 and yet we are not in a spiritual place to actually receive. Do you remember, I don't know if they still do them anymore. Remember those, those 3D pictures they used to put up where it doesn't look like anything? And, and, and you have to stare at it a long, long time. And the longer you look at it, something happens to your eyes. They kind of cross over a, a glaze. And you start to see an image appear from what looks like nothing. Y'all remember that? That's the way it is with God. Sometimes God presents things to us, and we don't know what it is that he's presenting. In that case, what do you do? You stand there and you wait. And you continue to look with anticipation. What, what, what you're doing is saying, if I look long enough, and if I look hard enough, and if I look patiently enough, 
all of a sudden it's going to come into view. What God's been trying to show me, all of a sudden, it's going to just appear. And, and I remember when those things first came out. When, when, when people got it, you could tell because they go, oh, I see it. Oh, I got it. Oh, there it is. You know, you know that, that. keep looking at it. You're going to see it. Just keep looking at it. That's what God wants us to do. He wants us to keep looking at him. He wants us to keep our eyes on him. Scripture tells of a time when the, when, when the disciples are in a boat and they're crossing over the Sea of Galilee and Jesus wasn't with them in the boat, but, but late in the night, Jesus comes upon them walking on the water. They were scared. They didn't know who it was. They, they saw something on the water and, and they, they thought it was a ghost, the scripture says. And Jesus says, don't be afraid, it's me, Peter being Peter. Lord, if it's you, tell me to get out of the boat and come on over there to you. And, and Jesus says, well, come on out. Come on. And Peter steps out of the boat. And for a moment, Peter is standing on the water. But, but, but the gospel writer makes it very clear. Peter could stay on top of the water as long as his eyes were fixed on Jesus. Say, it, it said he was standing on the water looking at Jesus, but for some reason, he got distracted. The Bible said he started looking at the waves and, and, and the waves were moving around and, and, and then he started feeling the wind and the wind was blowing back and forth and, 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 and all of a sudden he took his focus off of Jesus and the moment his focus went off of Jesus he began to sink if we keep our focus on Jesus like we focus on that 3D picture just keep looking for a long time, looking at Jesus, you don't see nothing. You don't see anything at all. And in fact, what you do see don't make no sense. If you ever, I don't know if y'all remember these three things that I'm talking about or not. It just looks like a bunch of squiggly lines and funny little colors. And there's no pattern to it at all. But if you keep looking, all of a sudden, a pattern emerges all of a sudden from what looks like nothing something appears it's one of the most astounding things you'd ever want to see that's the way it is with God sometimes looking at Jesus you just don't see anything at all what you mean love your enemies what you mean turn the other cheek what what do you mean forgive others as we have been forgiven? That don't make no sense. What do you mean give them your coat if they sue you for your coat? What do you mean walk a second mile 
with them. What do you mean make me last and put them ahead of me? Who are you talking to? What you talking about? I don't see it. But if you keep your eyes focused on him, he'll bring it all into focus. And what seems like an impossible thing to do all of a sudden becomes possible. What looks like nothing but squiggly lines and funny little colors all of a sudden takes shape. And when it takes shape, then you know what God has for you. There's, there, 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 there are these trees with branches that bend over, so weighted with oil that they bend over into the bowl on either side of the lampstand. And the oil literally drips. Nobody has to go pull the leaves off. The oil drips off of the leaves into the bowl. And the oil drips with such abundance that it fills all seven channels of this lampstand. And the fire continues to burn. And the angel asks, what is it that you're looking at? And Zechariah sensibly says, I ain't got a clue. Tell me what is it. Well, let me help you with what it is. Because th th this is practical for you and me. It was a golden lampstand. That, 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 that's what the text says. It was not, 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 not that, that, that fake stuff where they put gold stuff on. It was a golden lampstand. It was made out of gold. Gold is a precious element, a precious metal. Gold has a certain kind of value. And so the, the, the lampstand is symbolic of you and me. And the fact that it's gold means that God considers us to be precious. Now, don't you ever forget that. I don't care what folk think about you. I don't care what white folk think about you. I don't care what rich folk think about you. I don't care what super educated folk, or as my grandmother used to say, educated folk think about you. You are precious in the sight of God. And if you know that you're precious, then you ought not let anybody diminish how precious you really are. In, 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 in the midday Bible study, we're, we're dealing with James, and we, we were talking about James chapter 1, verse 27, which is the key, really, in my opinion, to the entire book. And in that passage, it says, pure religion and undefiled before God the Father is this, that we visit the widows and the orphans in their affliction." And that we keep ourselves unspotted from the world. And I made the point to, 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 to them in that Bible study that widows and orphans represent the least. In, in, in the society in which that passage was given, widows and orphans were representative of the least. Widows and orphans were represented of the marginalized, of those that were left out, of those that were overlooked, of those that were not considered to be much. Why do I bring that up to you? Because black folk are the least. And if you didn't know that, you need to know that. In the eyes of the world, we are the least. In the eyes of the world, we are the last. In the eyes of, of, of Western society, we are the left out. 
And you can hear that so many times, and you can see that evidence for so long in how people treat you that after a while you start seeing yourself the way other folks see you. And so it's important that you remind yourselves every day that in the sight of God, forget what they think, in the sight of God, you are precious. In the sight of God, you are a golden lampstand. Yes, sir. Yes. 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 But in that case, Peter was talking about believers. I'm talking about us. Peter limited what he was talking about to just believe. I'm talking about us. You need to know who you are. And you need to know who God says you are. Don't worry about what other folks say. You are precious in God's sight. It said that, that, that the lampstand had seven burners. Seven in Hebrew culture was the number of perfection. And so the fact that it had seven burners is indicative of the fact that our goal is to be perfect in the sight of God. Our goal is to strive to be all that God has made us to be. In order to do that, we have to let go of substitutes and we have to embrace him. I don't know about you. I don't like substitutes. I, I don't like substitute food. I don't like substitute spices. I want the real. Don't give me no fake salt and try to convince me that it's salt. Breakfast is my favorite meal of the day. I don't, I was just having this discussion with somebody today. I don't want fake eggs. When, 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 when I want eggs, I want real eggs. You bring me fake eggs and I'm going to send them back. I've learned how to order now from the restaurants. I want my eggs scrambled out of the shell. You, you got to say out of the shell, because if you don't say out of the shell, they're going to bring you something else. If, if you get those eggs where it's totally yellow and there's no white in there at all, it ain't a real egg. It's fake. I don't like substitutes. If you use this spice, it's just as good as salt. No, it ain't. If it was just as good as salt, it would be salt. I don't like fake stuff. God is saying we should not settle for anything less than what the real thing is. Seven burners. Six ain't enough. What, what did we used to say? I'm, I, I, I'm working on my 199 and a half. Won't do. We want authenticity. We want to be authentic. We want to be the best. We want to be number one. We want to be real. We want to be genuine. There were seven burners. And all seven of them were lit. 
and they were lit because the oil kept dripping into the bowl. And so Zechariah asks, what's the meaning of the trees and the oil? Because I've noticed, I, I, I've watched the burning. You told me that it's golden. You told me why there's seven burners. You told me why there's fire up there for each and every one of them. But I've been, I've been paying attention. And what I have noticed is that the fire continues to burn. It never goes out. Rain will fall. And the fire continues to burn. Wind blows and the fire continues to burn what is it that keeps the fire burning and the angel says did you see those trees on either side did you see the oil that was dripping off the leaves into the bowl and and, and the oil feeds the flame so that no matter what's going on on the outside, because the oil is into the bowl and the oil rises up through the lampstand, the oil keeps all seven burners burning. And this is what I want you to tell Zerubbabel. Not by might, nor by power but by my spirit. In other words, it's not what's going on on the outside. It's the spirit on the inside. You know, we, 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 we constantly want to liken the spirit to the fire. In this particular vision, the spirit ain't the fire. The spirit is the oil. It's the oil that makes it into the lampstand that keeps the fire burning. So then what's the fire? The fire is the expression that comes out of the candlestick because the oil has gone in. The fire is what we do when we're filled with the oil. Oh, Lord, that's good. The fire is the product as a result of the oil on the inside of the lampstand. And you're the lampstand. So the fire is what we do when we're filled with the oil, which is the Holy Spirit. So that where the Spirit is, there ought to be some fire. Where the spirit is, there ought to be some burning. Where the spirit is, there ought to be some evidence that the Holy Spirit is in you. It's not accidental that he picked fire. It's not accidental that he picked a lampstand because fire has different purposes. Fire can be used to provide light for those who are in darkness. Fire can be used to provide warmth for those who are in the cold. Fire can be used to provide cleansing for that which is defiled. So whether it's as a guide 
to those who are lost, or whether it is a warming, drawing force to those who have been marginalized and left out in the cold, or whether it is those who need to be cleansed from their sin, regardless of what your need is, come to the fire and find what you need. I'm getting happy myself right now. Come to the fire and find what you need. But it's, it's because you have been filled with the Spirit. You can't, a lampstand without oil is just an empty vessel. It's just decoration. So let me ask you this. I got six minutes left. I ain't going to need but one because we're going home. You can start playing just as I am right now. <laughs> let, me, let, let me ask you this question. Are we functional lampstands? Or are we purely decoration? You know, there's some stuff that we put in our homes that are intended to be functional. And there's some things that we put in our homes that ain't nobody supposed to touch. It's just there for decoration. When I was a boy, there were towels that we could use. And there were towels that we better not touch. There, there, there were rooms we could go into and do whatever we wanted. And there were rooms we had to stay out of. Like museum pieces, you just had to look at it. So, 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 so my question is, are we, the church, are we functional, light-bearing, guide-giving, Warmth drawing, dirt cleansing. Are we functional lampstands? Or are we just empty vessels set up on a wall, good to look at, but not good for anything else? And the answer rests simply in this. Is the oil in you? if the oil ain't in you, can't nothing come out of you. Just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me, that thou bidst me come to thee, O Lamb of God, I come. If there's one, we invite you to come. Just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me, and that thou biddest me come to thee, O Lamb of God, I come. I repeat after me, please, the Lord bless you, the Lord keep you. 
The Lord make his face shine upon you and give you peace. Amen. Y'all have a good night.